What is up, you guys, and welcome back to Sad Girl Hours. Today, uh, and we are still recording this in September, but um, today we are joined with Allison, and she is actually a therapist, and you are the second guest that I have had on that I didn't know previously to having them on. Um, You actually reached out to me after listening to the show, which I was very flattered by (laughs) so um I really appreciate you reaching me out and I'm reaching me out reaching out to me (laughs) and um I'm excited we were able to get you on here so how are you I'm well and I'm really excited to be here Serena when I listened to your podcast about sexual assault awareness I was really glad to hear that some people in the community are standing up using their voices using their talents to talk about things that don't often get talked about, but need to be talked about. I agree. I agree. And thank you for that. I think it's, um, and I know uh, Claudia and um, Seisha would also appreciate that because they were the ones kind of sharing what's going on with them. And um, it's definitely, there's parts of me that feel bad because even in episodes that aren't necessarily about that, it's somehow finds its way into conversation but I also think that that's telling because part of me is like oh my gosh I don't want to constantly be pushing this in people's faces but at the same time it's so it's relevant and it needs to be talked about more there was um, a video that my friend Shelby actually shared and it was I don't know if she was a professor or a therapist or who she was but she goes to college campuses and uh, gives speak talks, speeches, lectures, Um, but she did an exercise where she asked everybody in the room who had either known somebody who had been sexually assaulted or they themselves had been sexually assaulted to stand up, and to me, it looked like the entire room, Mm -hmm. and it was chilling because there was a lot of people in that room, Um, and then she said, okay, so if you or the person you know reported it, I want you to stay standing and pretty much everybody sat down. There was maybe three to five people that had actually um, reported and that is so significant to the narrative of of sexual assault and um, I think people who kind of have a stigmatized view on it really need to think about that um, because most of the time, like the statistics we do have, um, those are only from the ones that have actually been reported. So it's, it's really sad, um, but I'm, I'm happy to spread more awareness about it, and I, I think it's important. Um, so you are a therapist, and as I mentioned, I don't know so much about you. So um, kind of if you want to give your story of how schooling went for you, because you were fresh out. You've been out of school for about a year. Is that correct? Less, actually. Less. Yeah. Awesome. About six months or so, so very fresh. Awesome. But that's still, I'm, I think the therapist we were kind of talking about before within your generation, because how old are you? 25. Yeah, so we're the same age, I thought so. Mm-hmm. Um, around this generation, um, I think are going to handle things a lot differently than maybe prior generations. 
Um, so I'm excited. What kind of made you want to become a therapist and pursue that path? Yeah, so that's a great question. When I think about it, I think back to my own therapy experiences and those of my friends. Um, I grew up in this area, so around the Wasatch Front, and my experiences with therapy, to put it shortly and bluntly, it left something to the imagination, and I often found myself like longing for a space where I felt like I could be heard and I could share and I could be authentic Mm -hmm. and I didn't often feel that way with the therapist that I had tried out there's a lot of different factors that go into that Mm -hmm. but then I had a good therapist right and I had someone that offered me all of those things and I saw the potential and the healing that could come from having a good therapist someone that fit well with me Right. And so thinking back to how I had had so many of these experiences before my friends had, most people were kind of like, eh, towards therapy at best. That's how I was for kind of similar reasons. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah it makes <laughs> it's sense. It's pretty common. And I, I think that a lot of people try that one and then they're kind of done. Because mm-hmm. um, that's, I mean, I was 10. And I mean, I was going to ask you this question. Um before we we started recording but I mean in your professional opinion say a 10 year old girl is brought to you by her parent her mother and her father had just been shot that's how he died and there was kind of questions as to whether it was suicide or what happened and within your first couple sessions you ask them where are you at kind of in the scale of grief whereas Mm -hmm. He laid out like the all of them for me. The last one was the only one I remember that was acceptance. Mm. And I immediately said acceptance. Mm. That's where I'm at. Would you just kind of take that and be like, yeah, she seems fine. She's good. Or would you kind of try to dig a little bit deeper into that? Mm. (laughs) Yeah. So not having a ton of like context, right? Mm -hmm. I think like my instinct is work with children is often very complicated, very slow, and it takes time. It takes a lot more time than when you're working with an adult, someone who already has those like mature emotional, you know, experiences to draw from. Right. Kids don't have a ton of framework. So in their minds, acceptance is like where I should be. That's where I want to be. So like, that's what I'm going to say. And, you know, I think the therapist's job is to approach that with a stance of curiosity and really, like, help unpack that with whoever is sitting in front of them, but especially a child. And especially after a significant loss and trauma Mm -hmm. like that with, like, some questions of ambiguousness of, like, how did this actually happen? Right. Yeah. And I'm sorry to hear that that happened to you. That's (laughs) That's okay. That's really rough. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. It's just that was the only and... My mom, like, she knew that it wasn't necessarily correct, but she also knew that there was only so much she could push me to talk about it at the same time. So um, I was just kind of curious, because to me, I look back on that, and I'm like, I wonder, like, where I would be if I would have, if we would have tried a different therapist or if we would have tried something else um, instead of kind of having to navigate it on my own. Um but so you found because you had had the one therapist that kind of really wasn't giving you that safe space or 
that energy that you were needing and then you found the therapist that you actually clicked with. Yeah. And that was, I'm sure, a game changer for you. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like an instant thing. There was like a lot of work and there were moments of like, I still don't know how I feel about this or feel about you. Right. But rapport and trust building for sure. Yeah. Takes a long time. (laughs) Yeah. I could see that. For sure. Especially, I mean, these are the people you're coming to with your innermost traumas and maybe even things that you've never shared with anybody. Yeah. So I can understand that. Yeah. And so through that work that I did with this therapist, it gave me a different perspective on like mental health and healing and giving something back to the community and like using all of this new knowledge and information that we have that has come forth and giving back to the community, helping have communal healing. I love that that a lot because I don't, I've never really necessarily looked at therapy that way, but it is, that's exactly what it is. And I think um, just because it is kind of a little bit more stigmatized still that Mm -hmm. people don't always look at it that way. It's more of like, oh, I need to go to therapy because I'm fucked up or just, I don't know. It's really sad. Yeah. Because I think even people who haven't necessarily gone through big traumas, so to speak, could really do with some therapy. Mm-hmm. Pretty much anybody, um, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Even if things are going well, there are still things to like explore. It's never right. like a bad opportunity to get to know yourself better. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, and a lot of times I think people will utilize, and I'm guilty of this, um, instead of, because a lot of times it's hard, right, especially depending on how much money that person has to be able to spend towards their mental health and taking that step of getting a therapist. A lot of people utilize their loved ones and the closer relationships that they have for that, but, and as much as that's great, and you should be able to talk to your inner circle and people around you uh, what's going on. It Those people don't have the skills and the knowledge to present certain tools or certain perspectives to help in a different way that maybe would be a little bit more positive and constructive, mm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think about like different needs and like those different differing needs requiring differing levels of care. You know, some people really all they need is like that listening gear and a close friend or a trusted person that works out great for them. Other people, they need like something a little bit more structured, an intervention, uh, greater support, you know. And so that's when these higher level of cares are really important to have. And, you know, you mentioned barriers to access, mainly like financial. Yeah, that that is a big part of the equation. So I guess I don't want to like misconstrued the value in having support outside of therapy as well right absolutely well and I because we've been looking more into therapists um because my boyfriend he came on the show and talked about it a little bit but he is bipolar Mm -hmm. um but he also has Tourette's syndrome and there's a lot of stuff that's come out that um Tourette's can actually present itself in a lot of behavioral aspects that weren't really noted before Um, and so he kind of, um, and he might even need to get reevaluated, things like that. And so looking into therapists around here, um, luckily there's a lot of them that do offer sliding scale, Mm -hmm. 
pricing, which is nice. And what that kind of is, from what I understand, is kind of like depending on um, your financial situation, they can kind of scale back their hourly rate mm-hmm. um, and work with you a little bit, um, which is great. But if someone really is like hurting, there's and like financially hurting and really can't even do that. Is there some like kind of healthy coping mechanism skills that you could offer to anybody listening? Things that they can do on their own to kind of help mm. to an extent until they can take that next step. Mm. So skills in the moment or like skills, you know, to use if they can't get access to therapy in that moment. Even both. Okay. I would say both. Yeah. Yeah, so I always think about, like, breathing. It's something that we're doing all the time, 24-7, but we often have, like, no awareness of this thing that's, like, going on. Yep. But it is crucial to our central nervous system and how, like, stress and emotion and trauma and all of that moves through our body. You know, we know that trauma and stress lives in the body, right? And so breathing and regulating our central nervous systems is one of the most important things that you can do for yourself and you can do it anywhere you can do it regardless of financial situation it is free it (laughs) is free yeah and so taking the time to sit down ground yourself breathe deeply so inhale five hold for three breathe out slowly exhale with five breaths pushing your belly out feeling the tension leaving your body so that's the first thing that I always recommend because Mm -hmm. it's always accessible and so starting there and then looking for other ways to ground yourself and this will look differently for everybody maybe you ground ground yourself petting your cat maybe you know me sometimes you're tapping yeah and it's it's so funny that you bring that up because I um I can't remember if the episode that it's in will be out before this one or after, but I had my friend Shelby Nye back on and she was talking about regulating the nervous system by tapping. So she'll either shake her hands or Mm -hmm. she will tap her collarbone or E, I can't remember what she called it, EBT tapping, something, something like that, but like Mm -hmm. through the forehead and stuff. Um, And I had never thought about that. And I actually did that because I'm somebody who she was comparing it to when she's watching Game of Thrones because it makes her so anxious that she freaks out. Um, But I'm that way with certain shows, too, where I'll get really emotionally invested. And it happened the other day and I'm just sitting there like tapping my collarbone Mm -hmm. and it actually helped a lot. Um, And these are little things that you wouldn't even really think would make that big of a difference. Right. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Okay, so we can do that. And then is there, um, and I love the deep breathing because that plays a lot into things that I've talked about with grounding because you can also, there's grounding meditations that you can look up, mm-hmm. really quick ones. Those work wonders, visualization. Um, and then I can't remember exactly the order, but like five things you can see, Yep. four things you can touch, three things you can smell, um and then I'm forgetting the other two (laughs) yeah there's like two that you can feel one that you can taste it's like yes sensory check because you're wanting to check off all of the five senses yeah and that helps you ground Mm -hmm. yeah that's a great one I recommend that one all the time 
That's awesome. Um, progressive muscle relaxation, again, another good technique. That one um, you can't do as much. Like if you're, for example, like sitting at your desk, that one requires like maybe laying down or, you know, having some time to yourself. But, you know, you mentioned that we have access to all kinds of resources with our phones. And so right. using those guided meditations, using those resources. Yeah, that's basically that's how I got introduced to meditation was those types of guided things and it's especially when I need to ground because I I don't know I very much operate more so from like the higher levels of my chakras if you know anything about energy work in chakras like I mostly am operating like third eye crown and then that's pretty much it and when you're constantly in your head and in your intuition, you're completely off balance because you're not grounded at all. So that's mm-hmm. something I've really tried to work on. And it's made a huge difference for my anxiety on a day-to-day basis. It's made me a lot calmer. Um, so I would definitely recommend any anything like that to people who have a hard time. Um, for resources for therapists, what would you recommend for people to kind of start that first step Mm, yeah so um I guess my first step would be kind of like taking an eval of your financial situation because that will kind of determine what you're going to do moving forward um I think about like if you have insurance to use looking up the providers that your insurance covers you'll have lower co-pays that way it's often more affordable if you can find a provider that is like covered under your insurance So that's my first recommendation in this day and age. A lot of people don't have insurance or their insurance is very like limited in what is covered. We see that all the time. And so then I would recommend like looking into providers in the surrounding area, seeing if they offer sliding scales or reduced fees. Like, for example, I'm an associate therapist, so that means I'm pre-licensed. And because of that, my fee is a little bit lower than a fully licensed therapist would be. So there's options within that way. Another good organization that operates primarily on the idea of finding a therapist who offers sliding scale, it's called the Open Path Collective. And what they do is they partner with all kinds of therapists across the country, I believe. I'm partnered with them as well. And what they do is offer sessions at a reduced rate of anywhere between $30 to $60 for individual. That's amazing. And then I think it's $40 to $70 for couples or family. Really? So, yeah. So it's a way of, like, building that in. So... I have some openings on Open Path. I can share my link with you. Absolutely. I'll have that in the description box for people. Cool. So that's a great organization. And so if you're able to look into finding a therapist in your area who's partnered with Open Path, that is a surefire way of getting therapy at a reduced cost. I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I... I, I just, I see a lot of people that are wanting to take that step and wanting to do therapy and nine times out of 10 from what I see, it's always financial reasons. Yeah. And it's sad because like if you sprain your ankle or like mess it up to the point where it could be broken, you can't just be like, well, 
oh, well, I just am going to deal with this because I can't afford to deal with it. Like you have to go in and get treated, but we don't treat our mental health the same way normally because of how stigmatized it is. Yeah. Um, so what have you noticed maybe any differences between the way therapy used to be mm-hmm. and kind of the way the new direction it's kind of going into presently? Yeah, so I think, like, our field hails from a lot of, like, traditionalist values, right? Like, when we think about, like, where family therapy as, like, an idea and concept came from, it came from this idea of, like, a mom and a dad and then a kid and, like, yeah, that's (laughs) that's all it is, right? And, like, Mm -hmm. who fits that mold? Often, like, white middle class people, So that right there is something to, like, consider. Um, What I think has happened, which is, like, the natural progression of learning, is that we've learned new things and we have new data out there. And so we've incorporated that into the field to try and make it, like, more equitable and acknowledge some of the past harms. So now a lot of therapists will take on a stance of, like, recognize. recognizing intersectionality and systems of oppression and systems of trauma and how those overlap and intersect and affect people and limit their access to resources which ultimately affects like how they show up and how they quote unquote like do in therapy and so really like dismantling some of those ideas To kind of like put it in like a little quip that you often hear in programs right now, the idea is like, how do we meet people where they're at? I like that. Yeah. that's. I think that's important. It is. Yeah. And so there's like new beliefs that come with that, right? Like if you're meeting people where they're at, you believe that like they're doing the best that they can. You believe that like people are capable of change and people want to. Maybe there are things that aren't inhibiting that in that moment Mm -hmm. and maybe those things are outside of the person themselves maybe they're external factors not a like flaw within the person themselves absolutely but unfortunately we do have a really big issue with um suicide out here Mm -hmm. in utah and september as i mentioned we're recording this in september still uh the reason why i mentioned that is because i did want to we both wanted to talk more so about Utah statistics with suicide and kind of how it affects our state. Um, So with that, I mean, why, just out of curiosity, why do you think we have such a problem with it specifically out here? Hmm. Yeah, I think like there are a lot of different factors that we could speculate on, right? Right. And, you know, there's not a lot of research that's pointing to like causation, right? Right. And so correlation is not causation, making that distinction from the get-go. But I think part of it, and, you know, this is kind of outside of Utah, it's more of a generational thing, is that as a generation we are a standard deviation higher in anxiety than previous generations. So basically, like, the benchmark of anxiety has shifted a standard deviation up. 
Wow. Yeah. And I didn't so know that. <laughs> that has huge impacts on us. Right. Right. When we think about like how anxiety manifests and how how anxiety and depression have the co- comorbidity that they do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of overlap there. And so I think that's the first thing I right. think about the fact that like we're all just kind of like enduring this climate crisis and all that comes with yeah. that. We have, like, an uncertain economic, political situation. We have giant holes in healthcare. Mm -hmm. We have the ongoing, like, racial traumas that we all, like, watch. And then people, you know, our black and BIPOC individuals are experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot that, like, kind of ties into that. I think you said all that. (laughs) Yeah, it is like it is just it's almost like it's just life as a whole that we have to experience right now. Mm -hmm. It's hard (laughs) for everybody. Um, So it would make sense to me to see, especially because, I mean, like the housing markets and like things like that, like it was it was a lot different for a couple generations back, right? It was a lot easier to get into a home. It was a lot easier to make enough to provide. And yeah, we've seen the same wage of minimum wage, at least in Utah, for like seven years. Yeah. Eight years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, and healthcare, like I, I've never been a therapist, but I, when I was a CNA or I worked um, for a group home, of autistic boys I was an assistant manager there um those jobs you don't get paid that great yeah and I'm sure even coming out of school and having a license and getting into this field I'm sure it's not obviously I'm not gonna ask you how much you make but I'm sure that it's not as rewarding as it should be for such important work you don't do this work for the money or else I'm you sure will not. be gravely disappointed I'm sure not yeah <laughs> it's to help people I would hope yeah. Yeah. And I also think about how like LGBTQ plus individuals often are more likely to attempt and or die by suicide. Right. right. And so in areas where there is a lot of like religious conservatism, that that's a factor. Right. When we think about LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, that exists outside of Utah. There are c- Christian religions all across the United States and the world, and they all kind of follow that similar doctrine of like marriage is between a man and a woman but that like has impacts right and especially how that teaching is then like later discussed and like put out by others there's impacts with that absolutely and I mean when you have the church directly come out and say LGBTQ I a plus I think is all of it all of the acronym but um, you guys are not welcome in this church. We do not want you guys socializing. We are opposed to same-sex marriage being passed. That's a, especially when there are people in your church that are LGBTQ plus. Like mm-hmm. it causes damage. And I don't know about other states, but we do still. It is still legal to do conversion therapy out here in Utah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. And you kind of mentioned that you have worked with people that have gone through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that happens, right? Yeah. And it happens outside of Utah, too. There I is still conversion therapy happening in multiple states. 
Um, it's not it's so an evidence-informed <laughs> treatment, and it doesn't cure, quote-unquote, same-sex attraction. And so I can't really speak too much on it mm-hmm. just because I haven't experienced it myself and maintaining confidentiality. But right. I think, like, what we can agree on is it doesn't do what they're trying to do with it, and it's not evidence-based. Right. And it's, it's just gonna, It's harmful. Obviously, they're going to need more therapy after, Yeah. right? From what happened from the conversion therapy, I'm sure a lot of the times. Um, And yeah, unfortunately, I could see how that plays a big role in how things kind of happen out here. Um, You mentioned something that really caught my attention when we were kind of messaging back and forth about getting you scheduled, but that was passive and intentful suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Can you explain what that is to me? That was like the first thing that I was like, oh my gosh, I need to know more about that. Yeah, that's, it's an important distinction, right? Because everybody kind of like lumps suicidal thoughts under like one thing. Yeah. And it's very nuanced. It's like a whole range of thoughts and emotions and feelings and behaviors And so when you think about like passive suicide ideation, it can be something as simple as, you know, it just would be nice if I like didn't wake up tomorrow and didn't have to keep going. And so the thought is there, right? Mm -hmm. But like it is more passive, meaning there's not like intent. There is a plan. Yeah. Yeah, The thought, you know, kind of enters the mind, enters the cognitive space, and then it just kind of floats on down the river And, you know, that's that's pretty much as far as it goes a lot of the time with like that passive suicide ideation. Mm -hmm. It gets more intentful when someone starts to engage and like follow that thought and see where it leads them. And so maybe that same thought of like, oh, man, you know, it just would be nice if I didn't wake up tomorrow is then followed by, oh, well, you know, no one would care no one cares about me and like feeding into it almost starting to like hear those messages engage with of it. hopelessness because mm-hmm. that's Loss a huge hope. that's a huge thing yeah with um people who end up either attempting suicide or um being successful within taking their own life is that loss of hope yeah and when you're in that space you're not thinking rationally anyways because by the time you get there you've spiraled so far with this thought process that you are now in this space, this box of like, there's no way out. This is it. Yeah. I think of like the initial thought is like noticing a loose thread on your sweater and like Mm -hmm. just pulling on that until the whole sweater completely unravels. I like that analogy actually. That's what it feels like for me, honestly, when I allow myself to kind of spiral like that. And Maybe the reason why I was so intrigued by especially the passive suicidal thoughts is because I, the reason why I struggled so long to be able to be open about my mental health and my depression and my feelings is because to me, I wasn't having what it sounds like. I wasn't having intentful suicidal thoughts and Mm. I wasn't self-harming. I call it like the gray area where it's like, I don't think about killing myself and it's not necessarily that I want to die is that I just don't want to be here anymore. Yeah, exactly. So is that the same thing as those passive thoughts of just like, exactly. Okay. Yeah. That interesting. Pa- 
yeah, like, I don't necessarily want to die by suicide. I'm not thinking of how I would kill myself, but, like, I don't want to keep doing this, Yeah, right? Like, the pain and the suffering of this Mm -hmm. is too great. Where passive, you're often, like, trying to, like, reduce the suffering and the Mm -hmm. pain rather than actually kill yourself. Right. Whereas intentful, it's, like, there there is no way to get rid of this pain or suffering. I have no hope. I have no options. Right. So hopelessness, yeah. And then that progresses into planning, into taking, you know, small steps, whether it be, like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I have access to this way or I'm going to start you know giving my clothes away or drop my dog off so you know it's like a progressive taken yeah there's like steps to it and it's Mm -hmm. progressive and so it escalates and the good news with that is like there are things to watch out for for yourself and for your loved ones absolutely because so is this just kind of the cycle that naturally like kind of happens is it starts with passive and then I mean obviously it doesn't always escalate from passive to intentful but this is still how it starts it's whether or not people escalate out of that passiveness Mm. and start making those actions kind of be more solid in reality so if I'm someone who's experiencing passive suicidal thoughts what are things obviously therapy but what are things that I can do to kind of nip those in the butt for lack of a better term and Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people are going to hear this and be like oh that's me Mm -hmm. and so now if we can start with that identification of oh I feel this way and this is something I'm doing what are some things obviously the grounding and the breathing Mm -hmm. is something that you can do but what else can you kind of do to counteract those thoughts Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think like what you're speaking to with a lot of people will relate to this is like the normalness that comes with some passive suicide ideation. I think it is more normal than people want. And I mean, this is also another question kind of overlapping that one, but it makes me wonder like, are there less people that are actually depressed or is it more so just this society we're living in right now that kind of has made most of us just live in this state of being you know I can't really answer that like no but but I do have something I can offer you right Mm -hmm. which is like when we think about how we as humans evolved Mm -hmm. we evolved to like escape to run away to come back to safety we did not evolve to be like happy, fulfilled, calm, centered people, right? We like yeah. evolved to survive. Yeah. And that's it. That's true. And in terms of like the history of the universe, our evolution is like a blip on it, the record. I talked about, I love correlations. I love correlations because I talked about this in my episode with Shelby too. Because if you watch, I think it's called Into the Universe. Mm-hmm. with Neil deGrasse it's on Disney plus highly recommend but they talk about that how if you lay out the universe as if it was the 12-month calendar mm-hmm. humans have been here since the last hour of the last day of the yeah. year we have not I mean and if you think about we almost can't keep up w- like recently with the way things are evolving because you think 50 years back like we were barely getting like I think because I just saw a post on this and I'm not good with history, but like 50 years ago was when we were getting planes out and like Mm -hmm. now we have like robots and like it's just crazy and we our brains almost can't 
keep up with any of it. They absolutely can't. They cannot because when, so what you said about the calendar, we're here for like a day, right? right? And then to break that down even further, our front brain, our prefrontal cortex, where all of our like intellect and rationalization and all of the like thinking that we think like makes us who we are, mm-hmm. that's been here even less time. I would say probably like two or three seconds. Really? Our reptilian <laughs> brain in the back of our head, mm-hmm. our amygdala, that's mm-hmm. where our fight, flight, fawn, freeze, that's okay, where that's, that's where chilling. That's okay. And that's what's been around the longest. And mm-hmm. that's why, you know, often we find ourselves like, why can't we manage this anxiety? Why do I have anxiety? It stems from when you were out hunting eons and eons ago, and not even eons, but forever ago. Yeah. And then a predator comes up, and it's your. We that's why we still have that natural anxiety is from all the way back at the beginning. Yeah. And I th- I don't think a lot of people realize that either. And mm-hmm. it's normal from what I know to have natural anxiety because that's all a part of us. That fight or flight. It's it's extremely natural. Yeah. And so, you know, back to the idea of suicide, Mm -hmm. suicide is like a way of coping, right? Like when we have exhausted all other coping mechanisms, fully exhausted them, that's kind of like where we end up, right? Like, well, you know, I've tried everything else and if nothing else works and nothing gets better, I can always kill myself, right? That's like the last coping mechanism people are grabbing for. I agree. And so, you know, understanding that piece that it comes from like a desire to cope and to like deal with pain and suffering. But then also on the other end, like sometimes we just have thoughts that are possibilities that just come across our Mm -hmm. brain. Like we think like, oh yeah, it's an option to have Taco Bell for dinner. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it's an option to like kill myself as a means of like handling the stressor, Mm -hmm. right? And so like- I always encourage people to approach those thoughts not from a stance of like shame or guilt or immorality or even from a stance of like I need to change this because that often creates more anxiety. I could see that. But like approaching it from curiosity like where is this coming from? Like a neutral curiosity almost. Yeah like not the curiosity of like I need to fix this or I need to change this from a curiosity stance of acceptance of this is how I'm feeling right now. I'm not feeling super great. And I'm going to engage and explore within myself. Like, where is this coming from? Is is. Is it coming from like this desire to like alleviate some of my suffering, which is a totally like normal thing? Mm -hmm. Or is it coming from actually like this desire to kill myself? And so to people listening who have experienced like passive suicide ideation understand like that there is some like normalcy in those thoughts occurring for you and it doesn't necessarily mean that you are in like active suicidality Mm -hmm. that you need to like you know go to the next level unless you check in with yourself and realize like oh yeah I actually do right I'd say the first step is check in with yourself where are you at absolutely ground yourself and then you know I always recommend build a safety plan, even if it is not, you know. Even if it is kind of that passive. Yeah, there's no intent, right? You haven't planned. Okay, take that time to make a safety plan. Yeah. Think about, like, who could I call? Who do Mm -hmm. I trust? You know, who can I connect with? Another thing that, like, I think is really relevant for this area 
is that one of the biggest like factors that contributes to suicide being completed is like access to lethal means and in this state a lot of people have guns right mm-hmm. and that's like okay we have yeah. a lot of outdoor recreation do what you gotta do it's important to keep those in a safe exactly <laughs> yeah and if you find yourself struggling or you know thinking like i might be approaching this or i'm worried about my loved one there is no shame in giving your keys to someone to somebody, else. Absolutely. Asking someone to hold on to your firearm. Absolutely. You know, there's no shame in that. If you are worried about your friend or your loved one and you know that they have guns, asking them like, hey, you know, I'm worried about you. What's going is on? This, what yeah. are you doing with your guns? Mm-hmm. Are you safe? You know, right. approaching those questions that we often feel really like nervous and afraid to ask I think about like how the literal definition of courage is to stand in the face of adversity with fear. So like using that fear, acknowledging that it's there and having courage to ask those tough questions that save lives some of the time. Well, and there's polarity in everything, right? So love can also be fear because when you're acting from a place of love, oftentimes you can polarize that to I would fear losing this person yeah and same thing with courage just because you're having that courage doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to feel that fear because a lot of times they're one in the same exactly um and it's how you utilize it and how you view it um and we um in the episode for the suicide awareness month that came out in September we did talk about kind of if you have a loved one that you are concerned about the things that you can do the signs you could look for but you're an actual therapist so for um kind of on the flip side for the people who aren't necessarily experiencing suicide ideation but they know somebody who is what can they do what would be the best route of action to help them yeah Yeah, so I would say that, like, if you hear your loved one or your friend expressing some passive suicide ideation, not automatically writing off that, like, they're joking or that it's passive, Mm -hmm. engaging them with it and just being like, hey, I noticed you said this. Like, Mm -hmm. are you feeling that way? Are you okay? So that would be my first thing. Um, Beyond that, I would say watch out for, like, messages of, like, hopelessness and despair, like we talked about, you know, if they're expressing each day, like, no one would care about me I don't really feel like living there's something going on there to explore and to be curious about I also think about like what we know are some risk factors and that includes things like substance use having previous suicide attempts mental illness Um, again I mentioned LGBTQ members are more likely to be at risk Uh, marginalized populations of all varieties so thinking about like black and BIPOC and indigenous communities, you know, thinking about like who is more at risk. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And in encouraging them that like they are not alone and that any reason not to commit suicide is a good enough reason. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I read, um, and I'm not sure exactly how the quote goes, but something to the extent of people who are suicidal don't actually want to kill themselves but they want to kill something inside themselves Mm. there's a piece of them that no longer is meant to be a part of them and they can't see how to separate and move forward being a person without xyz 
Um, And I think the other thing that I kind of thought about, because always these stupid posts on Facebook, but they make me think. There's some of them that I'm like, hmm. Because a lot of people um, you will see kind of immediately, and I am guilty of this. I have not, I still have not gone to get evaluated as much as I need to Mm. um, because my depression and anxiety was diagnosed by just like a regular doctor. It wasn't like I went through a whole eval or anything. Um, But we are seeing an abundance of people kind of self-diagnosing or thinking that they have a mental illness when maybe we could at least after this conversation I'm starting to think we could just be dealing with something that is so natural but because we aren't honest and open about how hard life is and the way things work we feel more alone and maybe this is a lot more natural than we think do you have any thoughts on that Mm. yeah you know I think like that a lot of us believe that we are these like thinking cognitive rational problem solving animals but we're actually like feeling animals Mm -hmm. we feel before we think and most people like don't don't ever like reckon with that they think the opposite right Right. they think like I am this thinking animal that's what I've evolved to be Mm -hmm. emotions are secondary when emotions are like primary that's what we feel and that's like what you know, gives us experience, right? The, like, full breadth of experience. And so, you know, <sighs> all right, remind me what your original question is. I just You're okay. <laughs> You're okay. Um, so, essentially, um, I don't even know exactly my question. I guess just thoughts on self-diagnosing and okay. maybe if that could be more dangerous or kind of if people are kind of self-diagnosing or noticing that they have specific traits of something Mm. specific, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what would you recommend for people? Okay. All right. Now it's coming full circle. (laughs) I was like, I can kind of ask a lot of questions in one too. So that's my bad. (laughs) No, that, that makes sense. I now know where I was heading with that, but got totally distracted. (laughs) That's So, you know, I think, like, self-diagnosis, it does have a place, right? Like, we've already talked about, like, financial barriers and, like, barriers to access. Right. And so when you think about, like, getting a full assessment for someone who doesn't have insurance, that could look at, you know, 800 or so dollars. Right. It's a big expense, right? And so there is some validity in what you notice and observe and are, like, noting about yourself I will say that, like, it is a dual-edged sword in that, like, confirmation bias is a thing, right? And so, Mm -hmm. like, if I'm feeling some type of way and I start reading something, pretty soon everything I'm reading is, like, fitting this, like, narrative Mm -hmm. that I'm, like, creating Creating about myself. Right. And, you know, we just do that. Confirmation bias just, like, happens a lot of the time. And so having some awareness there as well and so I like recommend people keeping like symptom logs and keeping a journal or a diary and like like noting what is coming up for themselves objectively outside of the context of like comparing it against this like list of symptoms because then of course like it will seem like everything fits right when we were in grad school in our diagnosis class the professor warned us before we got into our text now, I warn you, as you read each disorder, you're going to convince yourself that, that you, you have, have it. every <laughs> single one. I could see that, though. Yeah. 
I could. Yeah, you really could because, like, there is a whole range of human experience and emotion, and there's a lot of overlap. And so Mm -hmm. I think that, like, there is a place for self-diagnosis, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we know ourselves better than anyone else. Absolutely. And, like, what we notice and observe is just as important as what is seen in a lab. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason, like, why assessments, like, talk to you know, the person being assessed and their loved ones is so that those observations can inform that diagnosis. So there's definitely validity to that. And being aware of like, how is this fitting this narrative that I already might have for myself in a moment of like struggle or suffering? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad because I think, I mean, I think there can be some good in people kind of taking notice of things and maybe wondering, you know, is this something that I need a little bit more help with? But at the same time, like, for example, last year I had a really, really tough year, as most people did. Right. um, Which I don't think I really thought about enough during that time. Um, But it got to the point that I was so constantly spiraling out and so, like, I, I didn't even know at that point, I was in such a dark spot, but I didn't even know at that point how to explain to people what was even going on in my head. So the thought of going to get assessed or anything, I was just like, I don't know how I'm supposed to explain this to anybody. Um, so that's when I kind of was like reading up on other things to not self-diagnose myself, but get an idea of what could possibly be going on because um, my... Uh, my father, I did find out my biological dad, he did indeed commit suicide. Um, and his father actually committed suicide when my dad was three years old. Um, and we have a very weird generational curse going where my dad was not told exactly what happened to his father. He was under the impression that he got sick or something like that. Mm. Um, and found out when he was 15, what actually happened and that, I've talked to so many people, but at that moment, he spiraled and was completely different. Substance abuse kind of ensued more. Um, And then, you know, he, fast forward to when I'm 10 years old and he commits suicide, but that's not the narrative that his family um, was pushing to me. It was a possible, well, maybe he was murdered by his friend that was in the apartment. And Mm -hmm. that's where all of that came from. So I was also in that same spot as my father before me. And then having to actually find out on my own that it was actually suicide. So to me, it doesn't seem unlikely that there's some sort of mental illness going on generationally. And maybe it could be just depression. Maybe it is just these hard things that people before me went through and there is no correlation. But um, in dealing with that and going through that, I felt the need to see if there was something, Mm -hmm. you know. And so... But then I started identifying with bipolar, especially since my boyfriend's bipolar and there's certain traits that maybe I see within him that I also exhibit. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also looking at BPD and being like, oh, well, I actually. And so I can see how when you are reading on these different things, it's easy to pinpoint the things that you resonate with Mm -hmm. and then being able to be like, well, then I must have that. Yeah. Um, And so I can see the double edged sword in it because now. I'm in such a different spot and my brain is not nearly the same as it was last year at all. Um, I was suffering with a lot of, um, I called them intrusive thoughts, a lot of 
passive um, ideation that weren't even necessarily quote-unquote suicidal but that's what those are right that's I'm glad that that was something that we talked about more because um I'm coming away from this conversation with feeling a lot less mentally ill and a lot more normal and I hope other people kind of can hear that and be like oh like I'm not alone it's not just me that deals with this and I think that's so important um for people to know um I didn't really necessarily look up Utah's statistics with suicide or anything like that. Um, But whatever knowledge that you have on that would be great. Sorry, I'm kind of just like, here you go. So next topic, here's this. (laughs) No, that that, that works. And uh, something that you mentioned that I just Mm want to touch on briefly for a moment is that you said, I identify these thoughts as like intrusive. Mm -hmm. And that's often like the nature of them. Like people aren't trying to like think into existence this thought. It just like shows up. And it's weird, especially if you've never, like when I first started experiencing it, I that was like the peak, like that was around the time when I did um, have an actual suicidal thought and did want to act on it. Mm -hmm. And it was like, what stopped me was fear because I was like, you've never been in this place before. Mm -hmm. Like you've, like how, how did you get here? And I think that kind of speaks volumes of how suicide, like it doesn't, a lot of times like I I will share this story before do you want to finish your thought before I I totally cut you off no I'm (laughs) I'm sorry I was just saying that's the nature of like how it shows how it is for a lot of people it just is an intrusive thought that wasn't there suddenly it is and then people think oh this must be me this must mean something about me when in reality that thought is just like any other random thought crossing through your mind it's normal it well, just shows up and then it just keeps going. And then that plays into what we talked about earlier on whether or not you get curious about that thought and follow it further is how things can spiral. And I went to high school with a girl who, and it's really sad because she was like the it girl of our high school. She was beautiful. She was on the dance line, like so popular. And after we had graduated, um, and I don't want to misspeak, um, but I know that she had taken some sort of like pain medication, but it didn't, like, I think it was like Advil or like Tylenol, but a large, large amount of it. And she was intending to take her own life. Um, But when you're... From what I understand, when you take those types of quote-unquote drugs in large amounts like that, it's not like it's going to immediately just shut down everything and you're not here and then you die. Right. It's a very slow process and it starts shutting down all of your systems, your kidneys, like everything slowly start to go. You die by kidney failure. Exactly. And she got to a point after she did that where she got scared and changed her mind mm. and she called somebody they got her to the hospital but by the time they got her to the hospital they couldn't do anything oh, and she was cognitively there saying I don't actually want this mm. I changed my mind and 
I think that is so telling to anybody who does get in those spots because a lot of people, when they attempt suicide, it's not something that's slow moving like that where you're actively experiencing it. A lot of times, like for my great grandfather, he hung himself. That's how my friend unfortunately did it or they use some sort of weapon or they're using drugs that don't move so slowly yeah and I think and unfortunately I just think if people had just that little time like she did to really feel that regret of like wait no I don't want this I don't think many if at all suicides would happen but because a lot of times the way it happens it's quick and it's impulsive it's just done yeah yeah and so back to like the idea of like access to lethal means right so if you're feeling like I might be approaching this place recognizing that like the decision that you are about to make is a permanent decision you can't undo it and so you know the more lethal ways in which you attempt the more likely that like you're not going to be able to make another decision if it doesn't work out absolutely and it just it breaks my heart for her for that family for anybody who's experienced something similar because I just think um I don't ever think I don't some people have differing opinions on it and this may be a hot take um and I used to kind of think this way but Some people believe that there are people out there that genuinely just were not supposed to be here and they just are genuinely just not happy here. And so it was just their time to go. And I just, I can't really accept that Mm. Um, because I have experienced so many different phases of life where I was in that spot where I was like, nothing is ever going to get better. Like, I don't know how I'm going to find a way out of this. Mm -hmm. And you do. Yeah. Every single time. Like you do. And I wish more people, because I know a lot of people that do deal with depression find it kind of selfish to ask people to stay for other people. Um, But I wish more people would just want to stay for themselves, you know, and who they could be and what. I think curiosity has been like a running theme in this episode and like being curious of how could things be different? Like what life could I live if I hang on and get help or try this or call a friend or start therapy um I think I honestly I need to start doing therapy more like I need to I think everybody should be curious about accessing therapy um for you kind of already touched on resources at the beginning especially like with insurance and stuff but if people maybe wanted to contact you guys is that the link that you're going to send me if people want to book with you yeah I could send you the link to my open path I have two more sliding scale spots available right now so I would love to get those filled with anyone who you know needs that and then I'll also send you the link to my psychology today profile where they can schedule with me directly Um, I'm at momentum counseling in Sandy and so a little bit further than like this area right (laughs) but um there's a lot of good and like well-known therapy offices in this area a couple that I'm thinking about are like Wasatch Family Therapy they have offices like in Farmington and Salt Lake I'm thinking about like Heart and Soul Wellness that's over in Clearfield 
um, a lot of of great options in this area. And so, oh yeah, another good option is Aspire in Layton. They have a huge staff. And so the more therapists, the more clients that can be seen. Absolutely. So those are all some, some good options. And I'm also wondering, did you want me to speak a little bit about statistics? Yes, absolutely. I was going to ask if there was anything that we kind of didn't touch on. Yeah. So with statistics, I'm looking at, you know, what was put out by the CDC in 2019. So a little bit of time has passed since then. That's normally how it goes. Like when I've tried to look at statistics, normally it's a couple years back. So yeah. So not sure how this has changed since then, but at this time, um, the leading causes of death in Utah, suicide was eighth on the list for all people and then thinking about like how that compares with other states in the nation utah was number six with most deaths overall yeah so what that looks like is 21.2 deaths per 100,000 so a very like significant loss there yeah men are more likely to die by suicide um I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I do you feel like you see more women that are willing to do therapy or has that kind of changed at all because I think men have a harder time just talking in general about their feelings yeah you know you got me thinking about that and I don't know (laughs) if this is like just something that has happened with me in my caseload but I actually see more men than women who are adults and I see more women like girl teens but um in terms of like adults I see more men than I do women yeah so I think that that like perception is slowly and surely changing good which is for the better Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We had an episode kind of talking about the divine feminine and the divine masculine, and that's not gender specific. We all hold divine and masculine energy Mm -hmm. in our bodies. Um, But the divine masculine is really something in like men's mental health um, has been something that's just recently kind of made it to the forefront of people's thoughts and like Mm -hmm. priorities and I love to see that because um healing as a collective right it's if only the women and like not not uh leaving out any non-binary or anything like that but just for sake of comparison but if more women are more feminine um people are doing all of the work within themselves and we have the masculine that's really kind of lacking we're always going to have that disconnect between the two so um I really hope that more men start um just just even just talking about your feelings you don't even necessarily have to go to therapy but just like being more open journaling we talked about that how journaling Mm -hmm. is a huge huge help yeah um and I think a lot of people when they think of journaling they think of like I woke up at this time and I ate this for breakfast and you're like just talking about your day but it's it's so much more than that it's being able to kind of pinpoint triggers or feelings that come up like you mentioned yeah and that can be a really good resource um when not going to therapy yeah because in those moments we often feel tempted to like put more in right like whether Mm -hmm. it's like 
I need more information or I like need this like a substance to come in when in reality what needs to happen is like something needs to come out Mm -hmm. right and so whether that's talking journaling dancing running drawing you know whatever it is for you doing something to like let that energy and those feelings and emotions out absolutely I agree a hundred percent do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share maybe Yeah, so I also, returning to statistics for a moment, I'm thinking about what is on the University of Utah Health Center's page, which is that suicide is the leading cause of death among one of Utah's youngest groups, teens aged 15 to 19. And so what that means is, like, more people who are getting, like, progressively younger are starting to have these experiences and actually, like, die by suicide. And so there's often this, like, misconception when talking about kids or, like, with kids that, you know, if you talk about suicide with them, that, like, might give them ideas or they might not already, like, know about it. The same, like, narratives that people use Mm -hmm. to, like, talk about queer people, they also conveniently fit in right here. But the truth is, is that, like kids can handle it because if you don't talk about it you're leaving something unspoken that is potentially lethal for your kids absolutely and so talking to your kids letting them know that like there's not stigma around mental health there's not shame there's not embarrassment or guilt or immorality with having these thoughts right like you're courageous for talking about them you're courageous for wanting to you know let this out and try and heal from this so um yeah if you have concerns about anyone talk to them young children especially your kids especially your friends especially someone who's you know feeling hopeless and the last thing I think that like is important to leave here is the national suicide hotline absolutely for anyone who doesn't know that it's 800-273-8255 and so I'm pretty sure like back to old texting days 8255 is like help so 800-273-HELP um I might be totally off base with that so no I think you're right I think I think think that's right. Right, because I read that off on the last one too. And I'll also put links to the other resources I found. The Trevor Project is a really awesome project. Um, for the LGBTQ plus community specifically. Um, There's a lot of, there's options. You can text in, you can call if you're more Mm -hmm. comfortable with that. There's a lot of options for that. Um, And I am just really glad that you came on. I would love to have you back to discuss maybe further different mental illnesses or just certain things um, that you think are important to talk about. I was really excited to have like a licensed therapist on. <laughs> Pre-licensed, but. Pre-licensed, yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. You've gone through the schooling. So I know we're running out of time, but really quick, if somebody yeah. was interested in getting into becoming a therapist, mm-hmm. what would you recommend? Because we could use a lot more, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. so great question. Um, What I would recommend is like talking to a therapist or someone in the community and Mm -hmm. like kind of like building a mentor relationship of like, how did you do this? What would you recommend? And so, you know, often to get into grad school, you need the like bachelor four year degree equivalent. And so I would recommend like 
you know, studying psychology, studying families, studying, you know, all that goes into humanness and connection, mm-hmm. even things like philosophy, science, all of it relates. Absolutely. So, you know, it's unfortunate that like you do, well, fortunate and fortunate that, you know, mm-hmm. there's kind of like the need for a four year and then a postgraduate right. degree as well. Absolutely. So that does like limit access in some ways, mm-hmm. but like there also are ways of doing it. And if this is where your heart and your passion and your interest lies, pursue that and pursue that to all ends of the earth there are people that will take your hand and will help you and will try and bring you with them and so don't take no for an answer I love that that makes me happy well thank you so much for coming I really appreciate you being on here again I will make sure that her link for booking if you guys resonated with Allison um to book with her um and I will make sure all of those resources are linked Um, what I've been having people do when we leave is we take three deep breaths and then I have them repeat back some affirmations. Would you be down to do that with me? I love this. Yes. Perfect. Okay. So we'll take three deep breaths. And repeat after me, please. I am capable. I am capable. I am enough. I'm enough. And I'm a bad bitch. I'm a bad bitch. One more (laughs) time with enthusiasm. I am capable. I am capable. I am enough. I am enough. I am a bad bitch. I am a bad bitch. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for doing that with me. Thank you again so much for coming on to Sad Girl Hours. Yeah, and thank you for having me, Serena, and for doing this work. You know, there's a lot of ways to spread impact, and, like, you have found a way to spread impact and, like, let that ripple out. So there's community healing happening all kinds of places. Absolutely. So artists, podcasters, Mm -hmm. everyone. Everywhere. I agree. And that was why I wanted to do this. So it means a lot to hear that. Thank you so much. Um, You guys, if you have any questions that maybe you would want to ask Allison for her next time back, anything like that, you can email in at sadgirlhourspod at gmail.com can follow us on all social media platforms as well to kind of get more in-depth knowledge on the episodes um thank you guys for listening until next time stay safe stay beautiful and remember that there is always another day